Welcome to Pop Culture Rx, part of Hackensack Meridian Health's award-winning podcast. Pop Culture Rx is where we sit down with a medical expert and talk through various health-related topics circulating in today's media. In our discussions, you'll hear from a variety of professionals sharing insight and advice on these newsworthy conditions. This is Pop Culture Rx. The CDC has officially given the green light for emergency use of the COVID-19 vaccine for children's ages 5 to 11. With this new update, parents have a lot of questions. What dose should their kids be getting? What side effects they should expect? What if their child is about to turn 12? Should they wait? What happens if the pediatrician's office doesn't offer vaccines? And what other options there are? Today, I have Dr. Katherine Klauser, a pediatric hospitalist affiliated with Joseph M. Sanzari Children's Hospital at Hackensack University Medical Center and co-medical director of the Pediatric COVID Recovery Center, here to help us navigate through some of these top questions about the vaccine for younger children. Thanks for being here, Dr. Klauser. Thanks for having me. So first things first, what led you know, the recommendation of a smaller dose for this age as opposed to, you know, the kids that are 12 and up? Pfizer initially looked at the larger dose, the same dose that adults had used, and found that kids were really mounting a great response to this particular dose. So they started to say, maybe we don't need that high a dose in the pediatric population. So they kind of looked at about half the dose and then what they landed on, which is about a third of the dose for adults, and found that kids were still mounting a great response and the efficacy was really high. So they kind of settled on giving a smaller dose to kids, which makes sense with the way that the immune system works. And it also makes sense with the size of a child versus the size of an adult. Yes, and you know what's fascinating is that the um, kind of dose was determined with immunogenicity, which just basically means how the immune system works, right? You'll hear that word kind of how, what does that mean? What does it mean? It means how the immune system works. And an immune system in a child who hasn't hit puberty is actually much stronger and it kind of decreases as we get older. So somebody who's over 65, as we've heard, has a weaker immune system than Mm -hmm. someone who's 30 and it kind of continues from there. So they were able to find that as the immune system kind of responded to the lower dose that it really was totally based on their age and on how their immune system works. So would you think that it actually is based on puberty versus their age? So maybe if the 12-year-old hasn't gone through puberty yet, maybe they should be getting a lower dose? That's kind of the general idea. And obviously what we've studied on and what we know is safe and what we know kids are responding to, the age-based dosing is what we're going to go with. And that's what the guidelines are, are kind of going with right now. We know that even if the child gets the higher dose, let's say they've gone, they haven't gone through puberty yet, they're 13, they're getting that higher dose. It was studied in younger patients anyway, so we know there aren't any bad effects. It's just maybe a little bit more than they needed to make the response. Um, But overall, they're really kind of tolerating very well, showing very minimal side effects. And kids do really well with vaccines in general, and so it's no surprise that this one as well they're doing really well with. So you mentioned side effects. What are some of the side effects that that parents should be expecting in their children? The same as they kind of saw with themselves. So some localized site pain. Um, Kids actually experience it less. I think they are just used to getting a shot and then running around and being with their day. Um, Maybe some transient fever for maybe 24 hours or so. And they can have some muscle aches and increase in fatigue. So some kids are napping a little bit more or maybe need a day off of school. So what I've seen is kind of a lot of parents' comfortability 
is that they've been maybe getting it on a Friday so that they have the mm-hmm. weekend to recover um, and that that's been a good kind of strategy for parents. Yeah. And then what about the kids under five? Do you think that there'll be a different dosage for those guys as well? They've studied a couple different doses of, of that, and it seems like it may be the similar dosage, the 0.1, which is just a third of what the adults are getting. Um, they've studied lower doses, and I think they're still waiting on the final data of that. But if I have to guess, I think it'll be the same dose for the younger kids. Yeah, and I heard that that COVID itself is pretty mild in most kids, most cases. So a lot of parents are asking, do they they really need to vaccinate their child if the virus itself is pretty mild? When we talk about mild in COVID, we really talk about ICU usage and death right? And we've been very, very lucky in pediatrics that we haven't had the numbers that the adults had. But that doesn't mean that kids aren't getting sick and that kids aren't needing to come into the hospital. So I may have a child who has bad gastroenteritis, really bad stomach bug that's related to COVID-19. And they may spend four or five days in the hospital and they're still kind of classified as mild, um, that they're not having the symptoms, they're not dying, they're not needing a ventilator, they're not needing a breathing tube, they're not needing any of those things that we talk about in adults. But it's still four or five days in the hospital, which interrupts their schooling, it interrupts their parents' life, and it interrupts everything. Even an asymptomatic case, you're still staying home for 14 days. And 14 days away from school, away from their friends, the parent has to stay home, it's really inconvenient. And I think that, you know, preventing that kind of inconvenience and that really, uh, you know, kind of what can interrupt everything else in their in their lives is important, particularly because we know the vaccine is safe. Also, I in my, you know, the COVID recovery center have been seeing kids who didn't even know they had COVID who are now really struggling with attention, with persistent headaches, with fatigue, with an inability to kind of do the activities that they had done before. So maybe they were an athlete. Now they're having shortness of breath and they didn't even know that they had COVID before. So although their initial case may be mild, they can still have those lasting side effects that we saw in adults and we're seeing again in kids. So for me, it's worth it to prevent it. Let's talk a little bit. You brought up the COVID recovery center. Now we have a COVID recovery center both for adults and for pediatrics. Talk a little bit about how that center works and how you would even realize that, oh, you know, I'm a little out of breath. Maybe I had COVID. It's really interesting because last fall, in adults, people started to complain of brain fog, right? They weren't able to do the things that they had done at work before. And it was well publicized and these centers kind of started to pop up, including one here at Hackensack Meridian Health. And then in the, you know, early winter kind of late you know to then into early spring really april is when we opened up our center we had a lot more calls from parents saying my kid is just not themselves and you know it really is the parents who notice these things Mm -hmm. right they're the ones that know their kid and they say something is off or as kids return to school right for the last semester of you know um the, i'm sorry the first the fall semester of 2020 mm-hmm. um you know parents were at home with their kids and everyone was having a hard time with you know virtual everything. school and yeah. everything <laughs> um and as they kind of returned in the spring in the beginning of 2021 they said, no, this is kind of sticking around a little longer and what math used to be really easy for my kid and maybe it's not anymore or they were returning to in-person sports mm-hmm. um and parents just kind of recognized that something was off so we opened our center in april with this kind of increase in demand to bring a lot of specialists together. So each kid is, a, is you know, approached a little bit differently. Maybe your child has shortness of breath and needs to see a pulmonologist. Maybe they have headaches and need to see a neurologist, a brain specialist. Maybe they are having chest pain and need to see a heart specialist, a cardiologist. So we bring the specialists together to see your child on one day so that you can kind of have a plan moving forward as we continue to manage this. And what are some of the examples of these kind of plans? So you mentioned shortness of breath. What would be 
an example of moving forward, how do we gain that momentum back? The lung doctors kind of have been treating this similarly to kids who have asthma. So maybe they need an inhaler every day to kind of calm down some of the inflammation that COVID caused. And that's been one of the real complaints that has stuck around for a lot of adults as well, is that their lungs just feel a little bit differently than they did before. So they'll start them on an inhaler, um, maybe do some lung function testing so we can see objectively how everything is improving. If they're having, you know, insomnia or headaches, maybe they get started on medication that we use for headaches, stuff that we use for migraines has been pretty, you know, helpful. And we use a lot of physical and talk therapy. Um, You know, the physical therapy helps kids who have maybe not been as active as they were before learn how to safely push themselves. Mm -hmm. And then the talk therapy that we work with with psychologists and with our child life therapists who can do art therapy and music therapy and um, kind of really connect with these children it's because it is associated with a lot of anxiety right Mm -hmm. it's not normal for kids to feel sick and when they start to feel sick and they're not recovering a lot of anxiety comes in and they need someone to kind of debrief with a little bit do you think that maybe some of these kids feel sick quote unquote and it's all kind of really up there in their brain because the pandemic has been such a topic of conversation that they feel that they are sick even though they're not. I think it's a combination of both. You know, somebody maybe was sick in that very beginning and they were coughing a lot and having shortness of breath and they didn't quite recover the way that they used to. So a cold in a child, you know, you typically just bounce back and no one has felt the kind of way that they're feeling now. And this maybe took another week to resolve or their joints hurt in a way that they didn't ever experience before. And now they're scared of what's going to happen next. And I agree with you 100%. I think this pandemic has really taken a lot of toll on kids. And so even those who didn't have COVID or who were never infected, have a lot more anxiety and a lot more of the stressors that you know we didn't see before yeah and so I wanted to actually go back to the vaccine itself so if a lot of children right now are wearing masks could they just rely on that as a preventative method or should they rely on that and the vaccine at the same time Every single thing that we've done to prevent COVID has been a layered approach, right? We initially said, stay home. That was the safest thing. But also when you go out, wear a mask. So we were using both things together. Wash your hands, you know, do everything that you're going to do. So now the COVID vaccine is one more layer of protection. Masks, there was a recent study that showed that they're about 50% effective in preventing COVID. That's great. 50% is a high number. You know, if I were sitting across from you like I am now and I had COVID, you have about 100% likelihood of getting it from me because we've been here, we've been talking, mm-hmm. um, we're, you know, in, in proximity to one another. Um, but with a mask, you know, that's decreased to 50%. If you add in the vaccine to that, it decreases it exponentially. So you're really kind of allowing all of the fail safes. I think of it like driving a car. Mm-hmm. If you get in the car and you wear your seatbelt, you're at a decreased likelihood of dying in a car accident, right? If you go the speed limit, that goes down even more. If you use your turn signal, that goes down even more. If you follow the rules of the road, you know, those kinds of things. So same thing here, we're doing layers of protection. So the masks themselves can't be the only way that we protect, you know, staying home when you're sick, washing your hands, Mm -hmm. and then getting the vaccine as well. I also hope that at some point, kids aren't going to have to wear masks in school, right? And the more kids that we get vaccinated, the more likely we are to head to a point where things are back to normal and kids can attend school without a mask when the numbers are low and when we're not having outbreaks. And I think that that's what they want. Uh, Yeah. Oh, God. I would hope that kids would be able to see full faces again at some point in their lives. Right, right. So... There's a couple of different places that you can get the vaccine. You can go to your pediatrician, you can go to the pharmacy, you can go to the hospital and get it. Where should you go? Is it safer to get it at your pediatrician versus the pharmacy or should you really just go anywhere? 
The short answer is wherever you can get it is the best place to get it. I think going to see your pediatrician is probably this, the best bet. Um, and the reason for that is, you know, pediatricians are really good at giving vaccines. Nurses in the pediatrician's offices do this all the time. Your child is also comfortable with their pediatrician, right? Mm-hmm. They've been there before. They know what's going to happen. Yes, they've had shots before. It's not kind of an overwhelming environment where they've never been before. Not every pediatrician's office has it. So, um, you know, the all of the hospitals within the network, within the Hackensack Meridian you know, Health Network, all have the capability of vaccinating children. I think that's another great place to go just because they're comfortable with kids. Mm-hmm. Um, the, you know, pharmacies also do it. And sometimes I've said to parents, sometimes getting them out of that normal doctor's office environment is a positive because the kid doesn't know what's going on. And so yeah. sometimes you can get them to go. Um, so wherever you can get your kid to go is the safest place. So you mentioned hesitancy around getting a shot. Are there any things that parents could do to make that experience a little better and less afraid I think one thing is talk to your kids about when you got it, right? Most parents, and we've done a great job in New Jersey, a lot of adults have been vaccinated. Talk to them about the fact that it wasn't so bad. You can also normalize the experience a little bit more that this shot is no different than anything else they've been able to do. You hope that they're getting their flu shot every year. So this is kind of just a part of that. Um, I think also kind of normalizing the whole COVID experience, right? We've Your kids will pick up on your stress. So if you're overwhelmed about the vaccine or you're stressed about it, your kids are going to pick up on that. So just kind of being calm and And I think also not feeding into the fear a little bit, right? Um, If you build it up and say, well, you know, it's not going to be that bad. And you talk about it for five days. It's really going to overwhelm the kid a little bit. So I think just kind of making the appointment, making it as normal as possible is a good way to do it. There are also a couple of devices that some of the places have. There's something that kind of does some vibration on the skin that distracts the kid a little bit. Um, You know, I don't think this is a time to take away their devices, right? We talk about (laughs) screen time in other scenarios. This is not one of them. Let them have their show. Let them have a little bit of distraction. And I think you'll find that they tolerate it very well. So you mentioned fear. And I know there are a lot of parents that are hesitant to getting their smaller children vaccinated. What could you share with them to kind of help with that hesitation? First of all, we get it right? Every pediatrician in the world does this every single day. And we understand that no parent is trying to harm their child. And every single thing that you're doing, you're weighing, is this going to benefit them or is it going to harm them? Mm -hmm. And these new products, and um, you can't see me, but I'm putting new in quotes, right? I think that uh, they're they're frightening a little bit. You don't know what the long-term side effects are. What we do know is that all of the other vaccines that we have given, the side effects come up within two to three months. And we have more than two to three months of data. And the side effects are usually something we're trusting our own immune system. So it's our own immune system kind of uh, responding to this particular um, insult, right? And mm-hmm. your body does this all day, every day. Um, I talk to parents who are afraid, well, why can't I just rely on my child's immune system? You are. That's what vaccines are. They're actually relying on your immune system to build memory against a foreign you know, thing. And we're just giving them that foreign thing so that they see it in a controlled way rather than in the wild. Um, so I think one other thing that I always talk about is We are so much better at doing things safely than we used to be. I looked back the other day at um, how the polio vaccine came about. Jonas Salk actually gave it to his kids first, and he gave it to 30 other kids. And then a year later, about a million families signed up and said, yes, please give us the polio vaccine. Well, it wasn't designed safely. It was probably designed in his lab somewhere. It was the 50s. Like, what did we know about (laughs) safety, right? Um, And we are so much better at producing things safely, producing them in ways that are not going to harm the kids. And also, the studies are so 
much better, right? Mm -hmm. When we gave the polio vaccine back in the 50s, the studies were, did they die or not? Like there wasn't, was there a side effect of this? Could we do a different dose of this? It was like, they didn't get polio and they didn't die. That sounds good to me. So I think now we know more, we do more research, and the safety studies are good. And, you know, a lot of people do worry about how fast these trials were. That's a common thing that I hear. And one thing I always like to point out is no steps were skipped. They were just escalated, right? It was much faster getting everyone to the table. So I think about like having a meeting, right? You want to have your CEO there. The CFO has to get there. Everyone's calendars have to get synced. And we might see you in December, right? It's November now. Maybe we'll get it by the first of the year. We'll see. But this, they said, once the data is available, you will all be available. So they skipped a lot of the coordination of calendars. They told everyone, drop everything, review every single bit of the data. So the steps weren't skipped. They were just faster. And then there was a lot of money available. And that's a really important thing to also remember is that it costs money to do all these trials. And if you can't find that money, then yeah, the trial takes 10 years. But that's not what we had here. So no steps were skipped. Everything was studied safely and in kids and adults it was studied safely yeah and i think another thing is is that it was the only thing being focused on everyone kind of drops their daily to-dos and focused on covid and what they can do for a vaccine and get better and how they can help patients because it was a worldwide pandemic. Yeah, it's actually like a great lesson in collaboration, yes. right? All of the smart people in the whole world, much smarter than me, I always joke about that. I say <laughs> these people who are figuring this out are you know, really intelligent and very good at their jobs. They all work together to figure it out. And there wasn't, you know, the this company can't work with this company. There was a lot of collaboration that happened. So you mentioned, so we're talking about collaboration. How about collaboration within the shot itself? So I got the first dose as Pfizer. Can I get the second dose as Moderna or should I stick to the same type of vaccine. The FDA and the CDC have both approved mixing of um, vaccines. There isn't a ton of change in the benefit between getting a booster of one mRNA, so the Pfizer, the Moderna, um, and the other. So it's fine, but there's not going to be a a large benefit. But if you got the Johnson & Johnson, which wasn't the mRNA, there have been studies that have shown that then getting an mRNA booster actually gives you the best protection. Um, So that is one place where I recommend the mixing. Otherwise, I think whatever's available. So if you got the Pfizer and you go to a pharmacy and they say, oh, we only have Moderna, then I think it's totally fine to do that and to get that mixing is fine. Okay. So if my child had COVID, should they still get vaccinated? It's a great question. And yes, is the answer. (laughs) What they have found, um, and they being lots of researchers all over the world, is that um, getting the natural infection doesn't protect you as well as the vaccine plus natural infection. So it really just boosts those antibodies and assures that you're going to have a longer standing protection. We don't have a ton of data on how long the natural immunity will happen, but we do know that um, boosting with the vaccine helps. And now... Let's say you're a parent of all different age groups. So you have a 12, you have one within the 5 to 11 range, and then you have someone younger than 5. Should you still be taking precautions because that one younger than 5 is not going to get the vaccine yet? Should you still be taking precautions for them? Anyone who's unvaccinated should be masking everywhere they go. You are going to decrease the likelihood of transmission, as we talked about earlier, 50%, so in half. So that child should definitely be masked. The more people in your family and in that child's circle who are vaccinated, the more that parents can take a deep breath, right? So if every child except for that five-year-old is vaccinated, then their risk goes down. Um, So yes, they should still 
take the precautions. They should still mask where they can. And I've seen a lot of parents who will mask outside even though they're vaccinated to mm-hmm. show their child, to set that example. And I think that that's a great thing to do. Um, but the child should definitely still mask and you should still take common sense precautions. But you can let out a little bit of a breath knowing that everyone else around them is protected. And so that child also gets some protection from that. Yeah, absolutely. Actually, I was this past weekend, one of my little cousins, she's not vaccinated yet. And we all wore masks because in solidarity, you know, we're all going to wear masks for you. And so that you don't feel like a an outsider kind of, you know, because yeah. everyone's starting to take them off. Right. It's nice if you're not the only one. Right. Yes. And uh, I felt that I've traveled a little bit more. I've, you know, being vaccinated, have felt a little more, you know, comfortable doing that. And I've been in places where I am the only person masking. And it mm-hmm. does, you know, you can understand how a child would feel like, oh, why, why do I have to keep doing it? Yeah. 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 So we all masked for her. What if the child had a history of food or medication allergies? You know, are there reasons that there should that the child should not get the vaccine? The nice thing about this vaccine is, and I'm speaking specifically to Pfizer and Moderna, um, because Pfizer is the only one, you know, approved right now for the 5 to 11. I think Moderna is shortly, you know, to be approved as well. Um, They don't have a lot of ingredients in them. That's why the storage has been such that it is, that they have to be frozen in a certain way and you have to distribute it within a certain time. And that's different than other vaccines. So parents always ask me, like the preservatives, he's been allergic to this preservative, should I be worried? And these ones do not have a lot of preservatives. They don't have heavy metals. They don't have anything that, you know, have been kind of the hot button topics to avoid. Um, so knowing that, that it's really protein, fat, and some salt water, I think they're nice to, for parents to hear that about the ingredients. If a child has had medication allergies before, they should really speak to their pediatrician. Every allergy is a little bit different, so are they at an increased risk? Maybe. I worked at one of the mega sites that Hackensack, you know, staffed, and we had a lot of people who may have been allergic to a medication before. We just watched them a little bit of extra time. Um, I had very, very few reactions, which I think is good also for people to hear that I was staffing it as a medical professional ready to respond to emergencies, and I did not have very many emergencies. Like, I can count on two hands how many emergencies I had in vaccinating thousands of people. And um, that's continued with the kids as well. So talk to your pediatrician if you have allergies. Uh, But overall, I would say most people will just tell you to get it. Yeah, that's awesome. Because I know a lot of people, even the adults, were super nervous about getting the vaccine because of different allergies or different reactions that they've had in the past to the flu shot, for example. So I know that that was a big topic down there. The other thing that's always asked, um, and you know, this kind of goes into the to the reactions, is can you mix the vaccines together, right? Because our kids are some of them are behind and it's flu season. So we're yes. so excited to vaccinate for the flu. And there's no reason that you can't get both of them together. That's kind of my main answer. Um, you know, we initially thought let's spread out COVID and any other vaccines. You had to wait 14 days. And the real reason for that was we just weren't sure. So we kind of played it safe. We know now, and we've given a lot of adults and a lot of teens two vaccines together. So if your child is due for their flu vaccine, go get the flu and the COVID at the same time. They may have a little bit stronger reaction, meaning maybe that fever will last the 24 hours or maybe they'll have a headache or something like that. But overall, um, I think it's you know safe to get it and it's an easy way to avoid two shots, right? Which a lot of yeah. parents don't wanna do. They don't wanna make two appointments. Uh, and if they're due for any other vaccines, it's a great time to catch up as well. There's no issues with mixing the two. They won't react together. Your body will respond to each antibiotic in the way that it does in any other scenario. So you'll mount the good response to both vaccines. Oh, that's good to know. And is that for adults as 
well as Absolutely. children. Yes. And in some places they're doing, you know, flu fest and COVID vaccine and you can get both at the same time and just be done. Yeah. One stop. One stop shopping. Yeah. <laughs> Anything else you wanted to share with parents as we kind of navigate through this new new vaccine? I think that one thing to keep in mind is that although the COVID you know, infection in children has been mild. It's still better to get the vaccine and never have your kid exposed to it as much as you possibly can, or to avoid the serious infection that they may get. Because one of the challenges with COVID is it hasn't really been discriminatory from anybody, right? Mm -hmm. There are certain things that do put people at higher risk, and we know those now, but there's also perfectly healthy, normal people who have had really severe infection. And so since I can't predict that, it's better to just get the vaccine. There are a lot of things that we vaccinate against that also are fairly mild, right? We all had chicken pox or many mm -hmm. people did. Um, it was really annoying. I had it twice, but, uh, <laughs> you know, I think that, um, overall now it's much, you know, better for the kids that they don't have to experience some of these infections. And I do truly hope that as we continue to vaccinate more and more, that that's, what's going to get us back to normal and, you know, have kind of a more normal springtime where we can gather in groups and, and have a little bit more normalcy. One side effect that I get asked a lot about is myocarditis. And myocarditis is inflammation of the heart. And it was seen in particularly 16 to 24 year old men um, and not as often as females, but there was you know, some females who also got it. Um, and it was seen after the uh, second dose of the vaccine, about one to yeah. two weeks later. Um, what happens with any illness, any virus, any kind of inflammation is you have an increased risk that it can go to your heart as well. So we know that we've seen it over summertime. There's a lot of summertime viruses that do this. What's good about the vaccine is, first of all, nobody died from vaccine-related myocarditis. They may have needed to be in the hospital for some pain control. Um, I treated a few kids, both boys and girls who had this, and they needed some ibuprofen. It really wasn't anything serious, and we just monitored them. But what we also know is that COVID itself can cause a lot of myocarditis. The virus is worse itself than the vaccine is for myocarditis. So, you know, I, and, and we've seen that continue on. One of the reasons why the kids vaccine was delayed in um, approval is that they kept increasing the number of participants because they were looking for myocarditis. So it's interesting when you think about clinical trials. Mm -hmm. You're looking for side effects. You obviously don't want side effects, but you're trying to get a certain number of side effects to say it's frequent in one in a hundred thousand, whatever it is. But the less um, common it is, the more people you need. So they kept asking for more children, get more children because we're not seeing myocarditis. So that's a good thing, right? Yeah. They need more because it's so rare. Um, and so since the myocarditis is much more severe in you know, COVID-19 in the actual virus itself and can have much longer lasting, as I spoke about you know, in that pediatric recovery, recovery center, we're seeing kids who had myocarditis early on and are still being followed by cardiologists. I don't have anyone with a vaccine related who needs to be continued to be followed by cardiologists. So it's really important that the vaccine myocarditis, the heart inflammation, is much less severe than in the actual virus itself. And much more it's, it sounds like it's a, a shorter time period as well. Yep. It's about 24 hours and they are fine. And I think that, you know, and as I said, it can happen in any other virus as well. Um, we just hear about it all at once because everyone's getting the vaccine at once. So yes. you're kind of rather than it being spread out over the year where maybe 20 kids would come in in a year. I got 20 kids in a month, right? Because mm -hmm. they all got it at the same time. Makes sense. Well, thank you so much for being with us again today, Dr. Clauser. Thanks for having me. If you have a topic you'd like for us to cover, submit your ideas on hmh4u.org backslash podcast. 
your suggestion could be included in the You Asked For It special episodes. The material provided through this Help You podcast is intended to be used as general information only and should not replace the advice of your physician. Always consult your physician for individual care.